All right, there we go. All right, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark Molina with Molina Leadership Solutions. Today we have with us Jacob. How do I pronounce your last name? Uh, Jacob True. Jacob True. Uh, today we're going to be discussing healing, not handcuffs. Uh, they are in opposition. It's a coalition in opposition to the Lane County Jail levy. Before we get to that, I wanted to begin with Jacob's uh, bio that he provided. Jacob True serves as treasurer for the Healing Not Handcuffs Coalition in opposition to the Lane County Jail levy and as treasurer for the Eugene Springfield Democratic Socialist of America. He has a BS in accounting from the University of Oregon and worked as an auditor for the offices of Inspectors General of the United States Treasury Department and U.S. Federal Housing Finance Agency in Washington, D.C., after he moved back to Eugene, he served as the treasurer for Hands and Voices of Oregon. He is active in local community and labor organizing. All right. Good morning, Jacob. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for your willingness to come here on Molina Leadership Solutions and discuss your perspective and your opposition to the Lane County Jail levy. Uh, let's begin with a little bit more, if you could tell us a little bit more, first of all, about yourself and why this work, this type of work is important to you. Oh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, like you mentioned in the bio, um, I grew up, well, I went to high school here and um, went to college here and uh, then moved away for a while, moved back. And, you know, my, my background's in uh, accounting and um, I worked a fair amount for the federal government during audits uh, uh, for the offices of, offices of inspector general. Um, and what they do is they take a look at, you know, uh, efficiency and effectiveness of government programs and make suggestions on how we can run things better. Um, it's a good program. And, you know, just as I've been more and more and more involved in taking a look at local politics, and so we've taken a look uh, back out here and, um, you know, considering what kind of areas we could be more effective and efficient in uh, here in, in Lane County and in, um, you know, in Eugene, where I happen to live. Um, you know, I've just taken a closer look and, you know, sort of run the numbers and I've, I've uh, you know, I've, I'm pretty much convinced that when it comes down to it, um, you know, there are better ways that we can get to public safety other than funding jails and prisons. So uh, I'm involved in a lot of other areas too, but uh, I'm happy to be helping out here and it fits right in with my background. So I'm just taking some notes here really quick. Sure. Now, for those of us who have never heard of the, before we get into more into healing that handcuffs, for those of us like myself, who have never heard of the Eugene Springfield Democratic Socialist of America, uh, is that a large organization locally? Is it just in Lane County? Inform us a little bit so that we know a little bit more about the, the group. Sure. Um, sort of the most, um, you know, uh, Democratic Socialists of America, or DSA, uh, they're a nationwide organization. Uh, they've been around for, gosh, a long time now, since the 80s or something like that. But they got a lot more, um, you know, attention, and a lot more membership after the, the Bernie Sanders campaign. Um, he identified as a Democratic Socialist. Um, and, um, you know, other, uh, you know, other, you know, national figures have, you know, said that, hey, we're, we're, we're wanting to go with them. You know, so uh, we've grown a lot in the last few years. The Eugene chapter itself has only been around since uh, for the last uh, five years or so, I believe. Um, you know, I got a lot more involved. Um, I've got two young kids. So um, when it comes to uh, being involved with um, community organizing, that kind of thing, uh, when the pandemic hit and we started doing a lot more things on Zoom, I had a lot more opportunity to to help out. 
you know, uh, <laughs> you know I work work from home doing accounting. So uh, yeah. the kids around, and you know, my my uh, my oldest daughter happens to be deaf. So I had a had a leg up on everybody because we're already used to um, uh, video chatting with folks, you know, because she she signs and we were communicating across the country anyway. So I'm like, hey, Zoom, yeah, I'll go for it. Anyway, I, I digress, but yeah, um, the the most uh, the most famous uh, democratic socialist in the country is Bernie Sanders, and um, the political project that was um, you know uh, encouraged by that is a big part of what inspired a lot of folks, including myself, uh, to get involved um, and uh, with organizing with DSA. You know, I appreciate what you just said with respect to being inspired to be involved in the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think all of us look to our political system that we have as imperfect as it is and right. as difficult as it can be to navigate at times. We want to be inspired through the political process. We want to be inspired by and from those we believe in and support and vote for, even from those we don't vote for, hoping that ultimately in the end they will make good decisions or just decisions for us all. And it's hard to continue to be inspired by our political system or to have hope in it when it seems to be as incredibly dysfunctional as it is in the current climate. Yeah. And one more quick question for you, sir, uh, before we get into healing not handcuffs, because I don't know. So I'm asking for those that will also hear this. I'm an open book. What, yeah, what is the definition or the platform of a democratic socialist? Well, one of the things uh, about DSA is that we're not a political party. Uh, we're just a bunch of folks, you know, uh, organizing together around issues that we share in common. Uh, but the general idea is that right now, the system that we're operating under, um, you can see that a lot of power and a lot of money tends to get concentrated at the very top. Uh, we'd like to see a lot more power held by workers, held by folks, you know, who are actually doing the work and that kind of thing, rather than the folks who already have the money. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of different ways of going about that. Um, you know, I'm interested, you know, progressive taxation is a good way to go for that and also supporting folks. You know, so there's a basic level of, you know, so you don't, you know, uh, so there's a basic level of support for everybody in, the, in our society. We're the richest country. Shoot, you could argue we're the richest country in the history of the world. And the fact that we have, you know, empty houses and folks living on the street means there's something going wrong. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying anything crazy, but like the system that we have isn't allocating resources effectively or efficiently. And so that's part of what, what brought me into it. Again, it's all, all about my accounting background, I'm afraid. Sure. No, no, that's good. That's good information. And if I may ask another question, Jacob, what is, and I'm asking because I don't know, sure. I'm, I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit. That's all right. Sure. What is progressive taxation? Oh, sure. So it's basically, it's the system right now that we have, you know, instead of, so like, you know, a flat tax, uh, a flat tax would be everybody gets taxed at the exact same rate. Um, progressive taxation is uh, if you're making, I don't know, a million dollars a year, the, the, you know, the, the higher bits get taxed more and the lower amounts get taxed less. So a person who earns, you know, like $10,000 a year, they probably would be taxed, you know, 1%, 2%. And then as you start to go up and up, you get taxed more and more as you start to make higher amounts of money. Basically, the idea is, putting on my economics hat here, is that uh, if you have no money and you're given $5, man, that $5 is really important to you. But if you have, I don't know, a million dollars, somebody gives you $5, eh, that's not a big deal. So it's kind of like, you know, as you make more and more money, 
you can be taxed more to provide a basic level of services for everybody. That's the rough idea. And I'm sure uh, uh, economists can tell you better than I can, but uh, that's the rough idea. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, we'll have to have further conversations on that because I'd like to learn more. But let's talk a little bit uh, about healing, not handcuffs. I don't have anything to read uh, to the viewers that people are going to watch this. They will listen to this. Mm -hmm. um, tell us what is healing, not handcuffs? What What's the idea behind it? What's the inspiration behind it? Mm -hmm. What uh, are some of its objectives? Sure. Well, I, I could uh, I could give, uh, you know, we have um, some prepared notes. I could give a little bit of uh, talk there mm -hmm. or speak off the cuff here. But so, yeah, what is healing not handcuffs? What do we stand for? What we want is a community where everyone has their basic needs met, where everyone has access to housing. Everyone has health care, including mental health care. And we oppose measure 2340, which is the jail levy in front of us that we're talking about, because we support a vision for Lane County could be without putting that $22 million of funds annually towards jail and youth detention more or less, because locking more of our citizens in jail doesn't really make us safer. Safer, You know, it destabilizes things and their families by cutting them off from work, school, and community. And although, you know, we oppose the jail levy in and of itself, we don't think that's the final step. We need to build services that efficiently provide true public safety, like mental health crisis centers, addiction treatment centers, and outpatient community mental health services, and affordable housing. And if we lock in that money, for you know, jails, that's money that we couldn't potentially pass a different levy and put it towards stuff that we're more interested in. So that's the sort of big overview, um, but I'm happy to, happy to expand on any of those areas or I could just keep going. <laughs> well, <clears throat> let's hear a little bit more about your platform and so the viewers and those that will listen will understand that as well. Okay, sure. Um, so so when, when it comes right down to it, Research has shown for decades that putting more people in prison or in jails just doesn't reduce crime. You know, like when I grew up, you know, the, the it sort of stands to reason like, ah, people are doing crimes. People are, you know, just put them in jail, right? That'll solve the problem. Well, the problem is that like, if you just, people are going to get out of jail eventually, you know, and you, you can't just keep people locked up there the whole time. And it, going to jail doesn't prevent them from wanting to do more crimes later. In a lot of cases, because you've been stuck in jail, now you have a criminal record, it makes it harder to sort of reintegrate into community. It makes it harder to, it, it doesn't re reduce recidivism. Uh, Sorry, that's a tricky word, but you know, committing crimes again, going back to jail, it just ends up kind of being a cycle and you end up stuck in there. And that ends up costing an awful lot of money and isn't achieving what we want, which is people not committing crimes, people not hurting others in the community, stealing stuff, all that kind of thing. Um, so it just, from our perspective, from my perspective, it's not morally or fiscally responsible. And imprisoning somebody has no measurable effect on whether they will commit another crime. And it does not serve as an effective deterrent for others to commit crimes. There have been some interesting, pretty fascinating studies that I've been reading recently about that, that show like, as you're interviewing folks who have been in prison, like, hey, are you, does, you know, would you do this again? And like, it's a roughly a three, three, uh, 33% split either way. Like, no, I wouldn't do this again. Or like, I don't know, maybe, or I would do this again. This doesn't matter. Like going to prison doesn't appear to have a, an appreciable effect on whether or not somebody's going to commit a crime again. So how about we work on doing something else that will help people not make those crimes, not make those bad choices again. So you said 22 million annually in, in, 
22 million is what is projected via the levy? That's correct. So the levy uh, will, which lasts for the next five years, um, you know, uh, $22 million each year is paid for proper, paid by property taxes. Um, and one of the things that I hope uh, that the, the sheriff has been laid some really great groundwork in previous talks, and I think in, in with you as well, is that um, part of the whole problem is that there's a, uh, the county used to be funded, you know, we're talking 10 years ago, with a whole bunch of money from timber levy, uh, uh, the, the timber funds. When that went away, a lot of services all across the board got cut. And that's when 10 years ago, they would decided, hey, we need a levy to be able to pay for, you know, prison services and a bunch of other things as well. They passed this levy uh, 10 years ago, um, uh, just, just barely, you know, just over 50%. And, you know, they were able to fund it up, but the other leg of it, they said they were going to be working on at the time, 10 years ago, I wasn't here. So I'm, I had to do research on, on it myself. But they were going to be like, all right, and then we'll do fund the, the community health services and the mental health side of things. We'll pass another levy later on. Well, it's been 10 years and they haven't passed that. But so 10 years later on, they're asking for a renewal on this. And we're like, well, how will we get the other side of things first? You know? Okay. Well, you know, I, can, I do appreciate that perspective. Um, now, I'm interested how does this plan of healing not handcuffs, mm -hmm. would you not agree that, or do you not, do you not believe in, I'm not trying to trap you here. I'm, I'm trying sure, to be sure. as objective as possible. Do you not believe in local jails or incarceration at all? Ultimately, we'd like to see no jails and no prisons at all. Like that would be ideal. And in a perfect world, that's what I'd like to see. Um, what we're what we're talking about right now, right here and right now, is uh, the jail levy, which is the increased level of services above and beyond um, the sort of base level provided by the county. Um, so right now, the jail levy funds for you know jail and jail services um, something in the line. Oh, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's uh, like 50, 60 percent of of jail bed capacity. Mm -hmm. What we're saying is, you know, we can cut that out. So if the jail levy doesn't pass, there'll still be a jail. Right. You know, they'll still be able to provide a basic level of services, but they won't be able to have as many beds. Right. As they do right now. Um, ultimately, going forward, what we'd like to see is have a lot more mental health support. And probably there's a place for a small, you know, for certain individuals that are neither mentally ill or not well served by other for uh, in other in other you know, ways, steps or forms. I. Like I, in my perspective, and there might be folks that understand it better than I do, there's still a place for a relatively small jail of some sort, but we don't need it to have as extensive as we have right now. You know, for you know, we're, we're talking for the most extreme kind of cases that can't be dealt with under mental health circumstances. But again, what's in front of us right now isn't completely getting rid of the jail. It's reducing the extra level of funding that we've had for the last 10 years down to the base level and then going from there. So <clears throat> I'll, I want to let you talk. I want to ask you a couple of questions. And let's begin with what would you like for the general public to know about mm -hmm. if, if you could write a levy mm -hmm. to fund the services that you believe in with respect sure. to healing, not handcuffs, give us some kind of model of what that would look like for a, for a better paradigm and perspective of what you're communicating. Sure. 
So let's see. All right. So what we should do is we would like to promote public safety by funding mental health treatment in the community, both at mental health crisis centers, which the county has been talking about a fair amount, you know, already, and for long-term chronic issue management. Um, the Lane County Stabilization Center, which is what the county has been talking about here you know, for a while, would be a much better place to help folks who are mentally ill or going through crisis get well. Inpatient and outpatient mental health services would also do a lot more to promote community safety than continuing the elevated level of jail funding. We would also think that supportive housing for unhoused folks like MLK Commons that's been built a little while ago, um, you know, so folks aren't stuck in the sort of cycle of getting in and out of the legal system while their basic needs are unmet and unaddressed, you know, a big part of our thesis is that crime would be reduced and public safety and wellness would be greatly improved if people's basic needs are met. So you, know, you can see why you know, that, that ties into the sort of political project that I support you know, with, with DSA and with directly in this campaign as well. So putting on both hats, it, they both fit. <laughs> so then what about, what, what would you, so when I interviewed the sheriff, he said he gets a mm-hmm. briefing every day at 11 a.m. of who's in the local jail. And the other day when I interviewed him, he said they had 16 in the local jail charged with murder, mm-hmm. 67 measure 11 most violent offenders, mm-hmm. 37 violent felony offenders, yep. uh, 28 violent misdemeanor offenders, mm-hmm. 43 serving some kind of jail sentence. Yep. And then there's another probably, uh, if I can, my handwriting got a little sloppy there at the end because I was trying to keep notes and pay attention approximately 65 to 70 of some kind of other felony uh, issues that were taking place. What would your your objective under healing not handcuffs or the perspective of healing not handcuffs do with these type of individuals that are obviously a threat, not only to their immediate community, our immediate community, but potentially a threat to themselves their immediate family, friends, and loved ones, what, under healing that handcuffs, what is the alternative if not keeping this type of uh, dangerous for whatever reason, whether it's dry, whatever it is, not passing mm-hmm. on why they're there, but they're obviously there for a reason. What is healing and not handcuffs perspective on contending with those? Well, um, for, you know, under those figures, uh, the folks in there for murder or for measure, you know, um, uh, measure 11, you know, they would still be in prison, you know, as it stands right now, um, if the jail levy w- weren't to pass. Um, the idea would be that jail, because you add up those numbers and you look at the capacity, there's still a whole bunch of, there's a big chunk of folks that are, are covered under the, uh, the levy, the expanded funding of the levy, that wouldn't be there. And again, the purpose of the jail except for, like you said, I think there were 30 or 40 folks there that were serving a sentence that's under one year. Those folks haven't actually been you know, convicted of a crime yet. These are all pre-crime, this is all pre-trial detection, so detention. So they haven't actually been convicted of committing that crime yet. So you know, you know what I mean? Like it's the whole guilty until, you know, innocent until considered guilty thing, you know, until, until going, going to prison. But I get you. So if people are an active, you know, danger to themselves and others, they do need to be in a place that's away from harming and damaging the community, right? Like, and that's still going to be the function of right now, what a jail would be. 
you know so we'd keep folks you know locked away if you know if they truly were you know determined to be that they can't that they are truly a danger to themselves and others for right now going forward what we'd like to see is more of a restorative justice model for dealing with um dealing with folks which is where okay somebody robs something from a store let's say like what you're going to want to do is just taking that person putting them in jail yeah that's a solution to the problem but a better way is to make the person who got stolen from whole so what you could do is you could sit down you could talk you could take the person who stole something from somebody and the person who got stolen from and this is work but sitting them down talking them out and see what you could do to be made whole and so people could realize hey i've taken something from somebody you know how do how do i get feeling better how do i get to trust in people in my community again you know it's it's a challenge but seeing that sort of model instead of just like okay they've committed a crime they get in jail for x amount of time and that's it so again we can't build that immediately you know that takes time it's already in process uh for some crimes um, um the restorative justice model uh, for some crimes here in Lane County, and they're working on developing it. I'd like to see that developed more. But in the meantime, by reducing the amount of people who are just sitting waiting in jail, waiting for their, their court date, you know, like in a lot of cases, if you're wealthy, you could you used to be able to just pay for cash bail and be out on release and still be able to do things in your community while you're waiting for your while you're waiting for your uh, court date. So the the idea is there's other ways instead of just keeping people, you know kept locked away in a cell, you know, not able to work a job or provide for their family or be out and productive in their communities. You know, there can be, I know there are some folks in our coalition that aren't so hot on ankle bracelets, but I think there might be a good idea, but also supervised release, having people checking in like, hey, are you out committing crime still? All right, no, all right, you can stay out there and um, keep working your job, keep doing things as opposed to just being caught in the cycle of like, all right, locked up, locked up. Because yeah, we don't want, one of the things that the sheriff's mentioned is that you know, having somebody who's just released and then goes out and commits a crime again, we don't want that. That doesn't make any sense. But having them just locked away somewhere, it's really expensive. And the person locked up isn't accomplishing anything. And if they've got kids, they've got family. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, let's talk about what about what about community members? What would you say to community members that that would say their position is we want these people to pay the price for what they've done? Mm -hmm. They stole mm -hmm. from us. They broke into our home. They broke into our car. Mm -hmm. They broke into twelve cars in our neighborhood. They stole from our store. They, you know, violently offended my daughter, my son, whatever that might be. What would you say to those individuals regarding how? healing non-handcuffs hmm. would be a better working solution instead of uh, the court system and the detention system? Well, the, the restorative mo model of justice would still be through the courts, right? But, you know, the, just locking somebody up, it might be after you take the person who's harmed somebody in the community and the person who's been harmed and you talk it out, that there's nothing left, but yeah, we got to lock them away because they're too... You know they're too you know hurt or damaged but if there's another way to work it out so we aren't just taking somebody and putting them in a cell like that's what we'd like to work towards it's but it's just instead of a sort of a one-size-fits-all all right you've done x crime you get y amount of months like try to work it so you're actually healing the community because 
ultimately what we want, you know, both the, the folks um, on the on the jail levy side and the folks on, you know, uh, opposing the jail levy, what we want is community safety. What we want is our, you know, people to feel safe and comfortable and trust each other in the community and feel okay. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, we want to build towards that. The big problem is that right now with just sort of putting everybody in a cell and frankly, the large amount of expense that that involves, there's a better way that we can do that and sort of build the community around making us towards a you know more whole community. That's what we want to shoot for. Well, I, I can tell you're very inspired, Jacob, and I, I respect the fact that this work inspires you, and I can tell that you really believe in what you're saying. But there's a lot of people that are equally inspired and believe that what we have currently within the jail system is what's in the best interest of the community. I don't think anyone would say that our justice system is uh, with respect to long-term rehabilitation. I don't think mm -hmm. there's anybody that would say that it's about rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. It is about it is about mass incarceration. That uh, that point of I would agree with. Now I do believe that there are those that can find rehabilitation while mm -hmm. incarcerated. Um, I know jails and prisons have programs that will help people get redirected for those that can't. Um, you know, the sheriff mentioned their training their deputies in brain issues. Mm -hmm. I recently, my wife and I recently started reading a book to together by Dr. Daniel Amen on change your brain, change your life. Mm -hmm. And it has revolutionized my life. Uh, understanding how all my childhood trauma, the death of my parents growing up in different homes, all my trauma had di immediate direct impact on my brain and how it never had a chance to properly or fully develop. And I can see now why I have certain response mechanisms that I do in certain situations. And it's been helping me to develop new skills and new capacities to not respond in ways uh, that I couldn't understand and I didn't like, but we're not fruitful. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I believe, I believe there's legitimate merit to what you're saying with respect to helping people, educating people, um, programs uh, that are, have proven to be true. I, I, I know the, the data that you're saying with respect to long-term mass incarceration does not necessarily, is not necessarily a deterrence. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. we see that every day. But at the same time, is it not a requirement for the law-abiding citizens that aren't out committing a crime? My my son, and I'm not saying this to embarrass him or shame him, he's been to prison four times. He's been mm -hmm. battling severe addiction issues since uh, he was a teenager. He falls into that cycle where he doesn't have, he can't control himself. I know he's got brain issues. He does, he falls into the criminal activity uh, that goes with the severe addiction cycles and he belongs in jail when he's there. He mm. he is a threat to the community. And mm. so, you know, as his father, and as much as it hurts for me to say that realistically, I have to acknowledge that his conduct and his behavior is a threat to friends, families, neighbors, to the community as a whole when he's in that cycle. Mm. And many times he has come to his best um conclusion about some things when he's in locked when he is incarcerated in the jail you know prison's prison there's no pretty picture you can paint about prison 
but sometimes what else are is society supposed to do when how do we come up how does healing with not handcuffs propose Mm -hmm. enough funds is it just the government's role what about the business community the faith community to encompass a working healing model for what you're proposing yeah i mean it again it won't be built immediately you know but we have to work through it but but the key thing is that the current system that we have just isn't tenable i mean right now we have like one of the one of the statistics that i like to bring up is that we have three percent of the world's population but we have 25% of the imprisoned population. Mm-hmm. If jails and prisons worked, you know, we wouldn't, we'd be the safest country ever, you know? So like, I, I get what you're saying, um, but the the crucial point for me is that how we're managing it right now just isn't working. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly really glad to hear that it feels like, you know, your son is responding well to, um, you know, some of the, 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 uh, the, the insights that he's gained through through prison, but I'm wondering if there wasn't, you know, if there couldn't have been a more effective or efficient way to accomplish that. And again, I don't know the additional, you know, circumstances, but maybe, I mean, it's it's awful that he's had to, you know, went in and got out, re- in and out and in and out. Like that's that's a lot of, I don't know, that's a lot of trauma for your son. It's a lot of trauma for your uh, for you and your family. And I just, to me, it feels like there's got to be a better way. And, you know, the, the, the sort of restorative justice model is the way that, you know, I've been looking into a lot recently, and I think that might be like uh, part of it for going in. Um, yeah. All right. Well, then give, pay, pay for us a picture. Pay for us right. a picture of what the restorative model justice, uh, the restorative justice model looks like. Uh, give us some type of comprehensive uh, presentation. Well, I wish I could, um, but I'm, um, you know, I sort of gave the idea of, you know, talking down, uh, talking, you know, somebody steals from somebody and they go in, you know, I, I can go through through that again. That's my basic level understanding of it. Again, I'm the, uh, <laughs> I'm the accountant fella who knows all the numbers and, you know, is, is focused on the economy and efficiency of it. Um, I can suggest to you some other folks that might be able to give you a better picture of how exactly restorative justice works in practice. And I'd uh, certainly recommend talking to the folks who are doing it now in Lane County, um, um, you know, to, 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 to speak on that. But my sort of, you know, understanding that I can give you right now um, is like when somebody gets, commits a crime, you get the folks who have been, you know, uh, who, when, when somebody hurts somebody else, you know, you get the person who's been hurt and the person who did the hurting and the people, you know, in the community around, you come bring them together and you talk out what the best solution can be, you know? And like, Maybe that solution is they do get locked up for a while, but you know it, it it allows for different channels for dealing with the you know the hurt that they've done to the person you know who got hurt and the community. Figuring that out, you know, you can get to maybe a better place, you know, because a lot of times people don't really realize like how badly they've hurt somebody or sort of the consequences of that, and actually knowing and talking to somebody, getting that sort of level of empathy, eh, that can help, but. All yeah, right, yeah. let's look at it this way. You're, I know some of your folks were out canvassing last weekend. Sure. Let's present it this way. You're knocking at my door. You're out canvassing. What are the stress points that you would share with me about why you oppose the levy mm-hmm. and why uh, it is not productive beyond the statistical data of jails not 
or or prisons not being a legitimate deterrence because i can tell you that mm. most people that i know that latter portion doesn't matter to them they want the those that are the criminal element to be handled by law enforcement dealt with by the justice or court mm. system or justice system and if they meet the criteria for incarceration they should go mm. I mean, I have seen my son receive incredible mercy by the justice system sure. and multiple programs and many, many times in support. He's in Utah right now, uh, the, the one final opportunity before he'll have to go to prison for 15 years wow. if he doesn't complete this drug court. And to this is, I don't know, the sixth or seventh time he's been in a program that people in the justice system if you will the court system have offered to him he's been in and out of detox multiple times i'm not putting him down i'm not trying to shame him the opioid addiction is something that i could not understand because i haven't experienced it but i've seen its deadly effects oh, yeah. but that being said you're knocking at my door you're canvassing why would i not want to support the jail levy when we have the crime issues we have in our community um, and I just want these criminals off the street. Tell me why healing, not handcuffs, is a more formidable option as opposed to the jail levy. Well, um, because you, well, it takes people off the streets for a while. That you know, that's 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 all it does, and it causes more harm in the community as people are taken out. Because you know, like what one of the one of the folks, let's see here, uh, like one of the folks on the um, you know, so ten years ago we had capacity-based release, right? They were the jails were full, so they couldn't keep people in there as they were awaiting trial. You know, this is again before, you know, they're adjudicated guilty of the crime that they're you know talking about. Um, so one of the one of the examples that the levy used before is a teenager who used a capacity based who did some pretty terrible stuff, but still was released on capacity based release. He used that to finish high school, and then you know was ultimately not sentenced to jail time and has not reoffended in the intervening ten years. So. If he hadn't been released and it was just sitting in jail and not able to finish his education, would we really be safer if he was just now he's sitting there, you know, in jail, he'd be behind on the school, unemployable, you know, that kind of thing. Like, like to me, there are other better ways than then, because again, we're talking about jail right now. We're, we're not talking about completely getting rid of every, you know, everything. We're talking about reducing the extra capacity that we have in the jail down now. Um, and it's 52% of jail funding that the levy provides. So there'd still be 40, 48% of jail funding, but we're talking about, you know, reducing it. So it would, and capacity-based release would mostly affect individuals charged with minor crimes, including mentally ill and homeless individuals. And a significantly amount of bed space in the jail currently is used for mentally ill defendants awaiting, awaiting placement at the Oregon State Hospital, um, um, you know, up in Junction City or Salem. Having them treated in the community instead, that could be pretty big savings for us. Um, that's that's a big part of what I've um, what I'm sort of touching in on there. Well, according to, to Sheriff uh, Harold, they have a the third floor has 56 beds where they're doing they do have a wellness program. We know there are multiple local local organizations, whether it's the Eugene Mission, Willamette Family. Um, Serenity Lane, I, I personally, I know Serenity Lane has programs, and I'll just say for the record, I'm not a fan of Serenity Lane, because when my son was in there, and I had to sign for his treatment, they charged 18% interest, 
uh, on the funds at that time. If the insurance didn't pay and for whatever reason, the insurance didn't pay and they had to pay under 18% interest. And so to me, that's not helping anyone outside of themselves, in my opinion, and whether that's too strong of a, a statement for some, I don't really care because that talk, talk about a burden to a father trying to help a son. And then uh, you've got to pay the, the bill, which was, I wasn't trying not to pay the bill, but 18% interest is a lot of interest. Um, as so, an accountant, I can, I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to say 18% seems real high to me. <laughs> yeah. And so for, for those that might be in the, this particular area of healing, so to speak, mm. that's just as much a business model profit model as much as some of the incarceration model is we know that prison in america is big business we know that well documented i'm not i'm not going to dispute that i know that it is uh just try to send someone you love that's incarcerated uh, on their commissary list uh it's it's highway robbery whether it's an email or a phone call or any of those other things it is big business in america that's another issue i don't want to digress to that but Specifically, the Lane County Jail. Let's talk. You know, I'm I'm in favor of the levy, hmm. the taxpayer, because huh. of um, we have to do something to deal. I know that we do. We need mental health. You bet we do. Yeah. Do we need other workable workable models to get people uh, some support and programs? Yes, we do. But I think we have a lot of people in the uh, large businesses and corporations that could be a, a major asset. Mm. We have the faith community uh, that needs to be a major asset besides expecting the Eugene mission to do it all. Mm. And I think this is one area the faith community has really dropped the ball as well as maybe even the business community as a whole, major mm. corporations. And so I think we put all the burden on the expectation on government to do it. I don't think that's realistic. That being said, you still have a lot of people in the community like me that want the criminal element to answer for their crimes because we want to feel protected and safe and feel like it's that there's some way, Jacob, mm -hmm. some way that we're being protected too. So I'm still trying to get to the heart and get you to present to beyond uh, you explained well this one young man that was able to finish high school and things sure. of that nature, but that's not most of them. Mm. That's not most of them that are released. Uh, many of them, for whatever reason, go back into the crime that they were uh, com committing before. Mm. And I'm not trying to pass judgment on them as individuals. We're just, this is the pattern of, of habitual living what is your response to those concerns by citizens with respect to funding the levy or healing that handcuffs? Sure. Would you mind repeating the question again? With respect to the levy, able to give those uh, in the community that say, look, we want some kind of protection. We mm -hmm. want some kind of measures in place that help us that are, that are obeying the law that are living peacefully with our neighbors, that are getting up and functioning honestly as we can to the mm. best of our ability. And we are tired of people breaking into our cars, stealing from our front porches, whatever it is. We want that dealt with. Mm. What would you say to them why the model of healing not handcuffs is a better model than having the jail levy? Uh, well, well when, it, when it comes right down to it, you know, having folks, you know, 
again, before they've actually been convicted of the crime. So, you know, there's no guarantee that they're the ones who actually did the crime. This is the pretrial detention we're talking about. They aren't, you know, anybody uh, who's, who's sitting waiting, waiting for uh, their trial. They aren't going to school. They aren't helping their family members. They're just locked in jail. And, you know, I, this is slightly tangential, but when, when we consider the changes made to cash bail last year, you know, that, you know, is also potentially going to be reducing the amount of people who are sitting waiting in jail as opposed to on community-based release. Or, you know, with Measure 111, the folks who are, you know, in there for petty drug offenses have also been reduced. So that's part of why increasing, uh, continuing the increased level of jail funding is something that we're not shooting for. But when it comes to what you were saying, you know, there are better ways to achieve public safety than just locking people up is, is, is our sort of thesis statement when it comes to that. And when it comes to, you know, the wellness program that you were speaking about before, um, you know, the sheriff, you know, in you know, the speeches has talked about how the, it, you know, folks, you know, it, it's helped for stabilizing and managing, you know, behavior of mentally ill folks, but they do end up coming back with the same health, mental health issues and the same behavior that needs to be stabilized and managed again. So it's the same sort of, you know, they can deal with it for a bit while they're in jail, but when they're released, like they don't have the community support to actually stay on there. So if they're, you know, mentally ill, they're going to start reoffending. They're going to start doing the same things that got them in trouble, you know, being dangerous to themselves or others. They just keep going back in. So all the money that we're taking to just sort of stabilize people, then say, here you go. Like that is just not working to actually, you know, uh, uh, have public safety. And part of it, I really think that it's because, you know, 10 years ago, they were saying, hey, we were going to have the side of here that has jail funding and the other side that has, you know, community support, mental health funding. We got the jail funding. We don't have the other leg, you know? So how about instead of, you know, continuing the jail funding on at the, at the current level, we, we, we dial it down and say, hey, we get the community support funding coming up. Instead of all the money going towards that, pass a different levy for the community support and see what that actually does to the crime levels. Because when it, you know, because what we've seen and again, the jail is still going to be around if the, if the levy doesn't pass. It's just going to be at a reduced level. Having a different levy pass that focuses on, you know, treatment and, and you know, restorative justice and anything along those lines, how about we give that a try? You know, I think that would, you know, um, uh, be better for our community for overall wellness in terms of, you know, keeping people off the streets, mental illness, you know, that side of things. A lot better than just the sort of cycle of jail, let people out, jail, get them better. You know, get them propped up. They get left out. They decompensate, and then they get end up going back into jail. Like that's that's arresting somebody, processing them, getting them in jail, having them be watched. That's all really expensive, you know. So, if we try it a different way, we could end up saving a pile of money and have a safer, you know, uh, more well community. Is the sort right. of thing. Well, be, okay, beyond your thesis statement, let's talk about, let me back up, because I, sure. I, I really want to know a little bit more about what you're talking about with respect to healing that handcuffs. Sure. Are there any, beyond uh, your thesis statement, beyond the data that you have readily available, are there any organizations in Lane County, we're talking about the Lane County levy, so let's, let's stay to Lane County right now. Are there any organizations that have endorsed healing not handcuffs. Are there any organizations that are prepared to commit funds, resources of any kind, if the levy should fail, if the levy should not pass? And now we have this new element of need uh, of service required in our mm -hmm. community. Who has signed on to Healing Not Handcuffs and said, 
we will be there to make an impact, to make a difference, uh, to be the change that we're asking for in our position. I mean, ultimately, it's not like we have, you know, um, an organization with a, a big pile of money to jump in. We're, what we're asking for is for the, um, uh, the Lane County government to, you know, fulfill their role for, you know, ensuring public safety. But instead of doing it in the way that they're doing currently, in a different model. You know, we've been in talks with Lane County commissioners before, and we're eager to do it that way. But ultimately, I, that is the, res the responsibility of, of the government. Yeah, no, I understand that. I I, I do. Uh, I'm aware that it was it's the Lane County is responsible for that component. You said you've been having conversations with the Lane County commissioners. What can you share about their perspective on this? Well, um, I can tell you right now that the Lane County commissioners voted unanimously to put the levy to the the voters, um, uh, the, the the jail levy to the voters. And as a voter and as just a community member. Um, you know, we're, we're folks that disagree with uh, the, the jail levy, and that's why we've been organizing against it. So, you know, we've been, um, this is definitely on sort of the political side of things, but ultimately we're voters and we're, you know, we, we've been together and we're saying, hey, we think there's a better way to go about this. We don't support the jail levy. We'd really support it. If you did something else, we'd be agitating out there talking to folks all over the place if there was a, uh, something that we could support that was sent to us. But hey, we only have what's in front of us. So. Um, you know, I, I wish we'd be coming out here. The first sort of big action that we did wasn't uh, against something we don't like, but it was for something we did like, but we, uh, we have the world we have. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, 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 let me redirect this a little bit. If sure. you could author Jacob, a levy to sure. the voters to support the, um, the thesis statement of healing, not handcuffs. Sure. What would the wording of that levy sound like or look like and what might some of the infrastructure of that levy mm -hmm. be to better serve this area of the community that we're talking about sure well i can give you sort of broad outlines um that uh, i don't we don't have like a full budget made up for everything but in, basically instead of um what, what we'd like to see funded quite a bit more of are uh, a lot of mental health services uh and you know supportive housing for um uh, folks they don't have homes so a lot of cases, you know, for petty trespass, things like that, if they were in sort of a supported area and addiction treatment centers for dealing with, you know, um, uh, dealing with uh, addi addiction problems that were places where you could be, you know, like halfway houses and sort of transitional sort of things. Like we'd like to see a lot more of that than um, prisons because it's, you know, again, you're separating folks from the community a bit, but they're still able to be integrated somewhat in. So they're not completely gone. And they're still being able to work, go to school, you know, those sort of things. Um, uh, what I'd like to see funded quite a bit more, you know, if I was able to take that $22 million a year and have it go from jails, I would like to see it in crisis centers, um, long-term care for mentally ill folks, and addiction treatment centers. You know, the, some folks would say that mental illness and addiction are, you know, go hand in hand, but, um, yeah, that's that's the sort of three areas that I'd like to see most of, uh, with the fourth uh, being supportive housing for um, unhoused individuals. Because a lot of the times, you know, a lot of the sort of things that, you know, just cycling unhoused folks through the system is also being, is also really expensive. And living on the street, shoot, that's a lot of trauma as well for both the community and the folks living on the street. Okay. 
All right, I sat on the budget committee for the city of Springfield. I'm on the budget committee for Willamette Lane. I'm a, I'm a sub board member dealing with budgets. I'm on multiple boards, okay. HIV Alliance. I, um, I was on United Way, American Red Cross, Springfield Chamber okay. of Commerce, Rotary. I, mean, I could go on. I love it. So the 22 million that you're talking about, mm -hmm. To me, knowing what I know about budgeting with respect to services, mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like it would go very far just listening to it initially. Mm. Or mental health services, housing, halfway homes, supportive housing for the in-house, long-term care, addiction treatment, mental illness. You know, they passed a, a tax on businesses at the state level to go to the education system and the first thing the state did was hire 50, 40 to 50 full-time benefited employees mm. to distribute that tax. Mm. Um, how would freeing up this $22 million mm -hmm. be constructed so that would not be a reoccurring theme of creating more full-time benefited positions at the county just to manage these programs, application processes, you know, all of these things, because I'm assuming that we're still going to need law enforcement in all of these areas if we have issues, violence or whatever that case might look like. Sure. Um, do you think that 22 million, you're, you're a numbers guy, do you think that 22 million is legitimately sufficient to launch the things that you mentioned and maintain viability long-term hmm. uh, without having to also go back out to a levy every 10 or five years, whatever that might look like to the voters. Well, unfortunately, the system that we have, we basically have to keep going out every five or 10 years to do the levy to renew the same amount of taxation. That's one of the, I can go into that, but that's one of the things that's frustrating about this is that you have to do renewing levies every five years. So we have to keep talking about this every five years. Like if they just passed additional level amount of funding in perpetuity uh, for the jail, like we wouldn't be here going back and forth about this. Putting that to the side, $22 million would absolutely be a fantastic start for that. You know, uh, I know in Lane County and in, um, uh, you know, City of Eugene, there's a lot of, um, you know, working through nonprofits. So you're not necessarily going for a funded um, city uh, or in this case, the county uh, county individual fully benefited position. I would like to see that, but you'd have to evaluate which way you want to go with it. Um, it. It is a complicated question, and going into the details of how exactly you're going to do that, you know, it's the whole devil in the details thing matters an awful lot. But if we wanted to ramp that sort of thing up quickly, you know, with currently existing programs that aren't you know as well funded, uh, I know for the um, the Lane County Crisis Center. Um, uh, the figure that they've been tossing out about that to get that up and started is $8 million. So, you know, that would be a big chunk of that, but seeing that funded and starting to ready to go and these sort of things hopefully wouldn't be fully only funded by Lane County, by this tax, we're talking about the Lane County level. We'd be seeing, I would hope, support from the federal and state level as we're going forward as well. That's not a satisfactory answer, but it's the answer I have. You know, again, I don't have the same sort of resources as somebody in the county does to evaluate, you know, funding streams, you know, as we're going forward. But $22 million a year would be, uh, would make a tremendous difference for, you know, um, 
And again, I wouldn't want to tax people more than, than we actually need. If we needed to be lower than that amount, that'd be great. If it needs to be higher than that, and that's what we genuinely need in the community, I can see it. But so I wish I could give you a better answer, but that's the one I have. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about some of the things you mentioned uh, with respect to healing that handcuffs and the paradigm of that. Sure. Um, you said housing halfway housing, supportive housing for the unhoused. Mm -hmm. What are some of your ideas with respect to our need for housing to keep people out of incarceration? Uh, you talk to the talk to me like you're telling the taxpayer, mm. okay, let's just say I don't you I decide to vote for you to, mm -hmm. to vote to deny the levy. How are you going to solve these? Well, it's going to be your approach to addressing and necessarily solve, but to approach and address the housing, the halfway housing, supportive mm -hmm. housing for the unhoused. I think we all know we need that, but we also want uh, those that are committing crimes in our community to be uh, held accountable. So what's the fine line here? How can your program with housing, how would you address that and how would that keep those that are committing crimes from committing crimes? Okay, so the the supportive housing for unhoused folks, that side of it is for the unhoused people who get cycled through the system, who aren't you know committing you know serious crimes, you know, on that side of things. It just ties into the fact that you know you and I both know everybody knows we don't have enough houses around here to house everybody. So people are living on the streets and they're being more likely to be taken advantage by folks, more likely to be involved in crimes, crimes committed on them, that sort of thing. Getting them off the street and having them not be a target, I think would help the overall situation too. Because again, um, when you're living out of a tent, it's really easy for your stuff to get stolen. You know what I mean? So that's part of how that would tie in and it would help with overall community wellness too. Right. I'm not saying that like somebody commits a murder, give them, give them a house, you know, like, no, that doesn't make sense. But in terms of having a supported area for people who are suffering from mental illness or people who are, um, you know, addicted to substances, giving them a place to live, to get stable while they deal with their issues and start to reintegrate into, you know, uh, reintegrate into uh, the community, into society. You know, I do subscribe to the housing first model. If, you know, if somebody is, um, yeah, and, and Homes for Good is doing some great work in that area. If somebody is uh, homeless, uh, the first thing you can do to solve that problem, is give them a place to live, you know, get them stable. So they're able to hold a job. So they're able to support themselves. And if they have family, you know, and support their family, get back into things. So that's, that's, that's that side of it. I'm not saying, you know, supportive housing for everybody who commits a crime. No, it's, it's, to, it's a prevention side of things. <clears throat> Jacob, what about that part of our society, the community in which we all live in together. What about those that they just really don't care? They're going to do what they want to do. You know, screw the healing handcuffs and screw mm -hmm. the Lane County Jail. We don't care about any of them. We're going to live the life we want to live. And if we're going to steal, we're going to steal. If we're going to do commit criminal, criminal act, we're going to commit criminal acts. So what? There are people that live a criminal lifestyle because they like it. Right. I mean, you know, so what about and I'm how might that be addressed through the thesis statement of healing, not handcuffs? Mm -mm -mm. 
you know, um, for, I mean, I mean, when you drill down into it, a lot of people are committing crimes, you know, because they just don't have money. Um, you know, I've, I imagine there might be some folks who are just like committing crimes. That's what I want to do. You know, it, I would argue that that sort of deeply antisocial behavior uh, uh, ties into mental illness in a lot of cases. Because if you're if you have so little empathy for other people that you're just like I'm going to commit crimes, I don't care about other people at all. I think there's some kind of mental illness going on there above and beyond just sort of like I've made the very conscious decision to you know be to, to commit crimes. I think there's something else going on underneath that. But um, in that sort of you know specific kind of use case, you know where they're just like I just want to commit crimes. I'd imagine you know keeping them incarcerated, but. Having having that be the sort of default option for everybody doesn't make sense. You know, I spent a lot of time when I was a pastor in the jails uh, in Texas and here doing jail ministry, listening to people's stories. And there is a part of those that are that live a criminal lifestyle. The part mm -hmm. of it is the psyche of the rush of the crime. Sure, sure. Doing it, getting away with it. It becomes part of their internal modus operandi. It's a part of the culture of the, uh, the, the formal and informal norms of their, their cultural setting. That's a reality. So mm -hmm. I just don't want to be to use terms of naivete regarding, mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm not trying to, let me just say for the record that I'm not trying to paint a broad brush uh, against anyone that is hurting in our community. I know my son's brain is broken. We've had that discussion. He's aware of it now as, and within this, this cl the classes that he's in, the accountability that he's in. And it's interesting, Jacob, the detective that he reports to in Utah right now is actually the one that is helping him the most understand how yeah. damaged his brain is and why he, he needs to, that's the detective that's really coaching him through with workable details and processes to help him get better. And it's working as a matter of fact. And I know the sheriff said that they're now teaching the deputies on drug, the drug or the, the addicted brain and what that looks like and how it responds. So I don't think that everything the jail levy or our Lane County Deputy Sheriff's proposing is is not useful or helpful. I don't think that what you're proposing, Hilly Night Handcuffs, is not useful or helpful. Mm. I wish we could find a way to facilitate, you know, broad-based health programs across the board for our community, whether it's the faith community, the business community, or government. Um, I just don't, I don't see how that's going to happen. I, I, I do... No, I do understand the data that you were making mention of regarding incarceration and prisons. I know that stuff is true too. I just don't, we have, a, how else, I'm thinking out loud and I'm not necessarily asking you a question because I want to be respectful of you as well. Uh, I'm thinking, okay, I, I I, I want to see the jail levy pass. I do as a taxpayer. I want the criminal element dealt with. But at the same time, being a father of an addict, being a father of someone who's uh, been to uh, prison four times, in local jails multiple times, knowing that he has severe addiction issues, brain issues, what other things might be available to help, su help support him uh, to get better? You know, I, I see both sides. And 
I guess I'm just saying that out loud out of respect to you, out of respect to the to the sheriff's department and what they do is I don't know how to bring those two together that we can facilitate fairly, justly, equally across the board, both paradigms, because I wish we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to say that out loud. I get you. I get you. Well, um, I very much appreciated the conversation. Um, the the sort of, you know, the, the thing that I just want to emphasize is that, you know, there are a lot of good folks, you know, sort of on both sides of this issue. And like I said, I wish there was a way that we could sort of integrate things better. Um, but when it comes right down to it, you know, the, the big thing that just keeps, you know, that's forefront of my mind is that so much of what we're doing here isn't unique to our situation. You know, we got places all around the world that also have problems with drugs, with crimes and, and, and with everything else. And they're dealing with, with it, not by, you know, imprisoning, you know, uh, again, we have, we have 25% of the world's population in prison right now. And we're 3%. Like, and it's costing an awful lot of money to do it that way. I think we could do it in a way that's better. You know, shoot, this would give it a try. But I very much, I very much appreciate your perspective. And honestly, I've, I've um, deeply appreciated uh, the conversation uh, that we've had and uh, your perspective on, on how uh, your, your sons interacted with the criminal justice system. And I got to say that, um, you know, hearing that they're responding well right now to the, the, the de- detective over there in Utah, um, that makes me feel really good. You know, I'm glad that things are going better. And, you know, you know, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's just a shame that they've had to go through four times to get to that point. You know, it'd have been, but I'm very glad. So got just, if, why don't you take, I'd like you to take a couple of minutes uh, to present one more time your case to the listeners regarding the healing, not handcuffs, why this coalition is opposition to the Lane County jail levy sure. and um, why that's important to you and uh, why you're asking them to say no. All right. Um, oh no. <laughs> well, uh, just you know, we see we see a possibility for a better future. Uh, what we'd like to, you know, the the status quo that we're experiencing right now, um, which would be uh, continued if we pass the jail levy, is what we're we're going to keep on getting. Um, if we try a different path, uh, if we uh, say no to the uh, measure uh, twenty uh, to this measure in front of us, the jail levy. And instead, we support a different levy or a different path where we're instead funding community services, mental health care, um, crisis centers, that kind of thing. I think we'd end up with a lot better um, uh, public safety overall than if we continue on with the path that we're on right here. So that's the, uh, the overall thrust. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've had with us today Jacob True. He serves as treasurer for the Healing Not Handcuffs Coalition that is in opposi- opposition to the Lane County Jail Levy. Uh, again, he is the treasurer for the Eugene Springfield Democratic Socialist of America. He has a BS in accounting from the University of Oregon and worked as an auditor for the offices of Inspectors General of the U.S. Treasury Department and U.S. Federal Housing Finance Agency in Washington, D.C. And after he moved back to Eugene, he served as treasurer for Hands of Voices, Hands and Voices of Oregon. He's an active local community and labor organizer. Listen, um, I personally just want to thank you for putting your voice into the process, your participation in the process, your perspective into the process. And this is what makes a democracy a democracy. And it gives us all a place to participate and make our um, our disagreements known. And, and we're able to do that uh, legally 
with respect to this process of the vote and the other things that will be taking place on May 16th. And so just thank you to, to your organization, Healing Not Handcuffs, those that support you as well for their efforts, their convictions uh, in support of this, because this is what this is what makes America great. Our voices, our participation, our convictions, and our willingness to get into the fray and to try to make an impact and make a difference. Even if we don't agree on everything, there is no doubt in my mind that you and your colleagues uh, have the best of intentions to bring health and vitality to the community as a whole. So I just wanted to acknowledge that and, and to thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so right. much. You have a good weekend. Thank you for your time. You too now. Cheers. Mm -hmm.